let me start off with a question today. The question is this. How many of you like to make decisions? Raise your hand. If you, if you just like to make decisions. Okay. How many of you don't like to make decisions? Raise your hand. You're, you just don't like it. How many of you are still deciding whether or not you like to make? Yeah, you're just not, you haven't decided, right? So there was a researcher in Columbia, at Columbia University, and she determined that the average American makes around 70 conscious decisions every day. Now, this is not the involuntary decisions that, that are just happening. 70 conscious decisions every day. That's, that's, that's 25,000 decisions, conscious decisions, that you're making every year. And that's like almost 2 million decisions, conscious decisions, that you're making over the course of a lifetime. So when you look back over your life, you recognize that your life is basically the sum of your decisions. Every decision you make is like a stepping stone that you're laying in the ground, and then you're stepping on that stone, and each decision that you make creates a path, and whatever that path is and wherever that path goes, that's your life. It's the sum of, it's the series of your decisions. And not only are we trying to make the big decisions, right, like you know, what career am I going to choose? Where am I going to go to school? What am I going to major in? You know, should I date this person? Should I marry this person? Not only are we making these huge decisions, but we're also making, you know, thousands, if not millions of little decisions all the time. Do you know that, for instance, when you go into Starbucks, there are 87,000 different drink combinations that you can order? 87,000. I used to like the regular or decaf. It was like, boom. Cox Cable offers over 1,000 channels for you to choose from. The, the iPhone, if you have an iPhone, there are over 1.2 million apps for you, to, for you to download on that iPhone. There's decisions. There are 2,800 stocks on the New York Stock Exchange. There are over 2,500 dating sites in the U.S. alone. Lots of decisions to make. Um, one guy that I read about this week took so long to make a decision that he ended up in the Guinness Book of World Records. And this is no joke. His name was um, Octavio Guillen. Uh, and he got engaged to a woman named uh, Adriana Martinez in 1902. But it just took him a while to make the decision to take the leap into marriage. Right? So they just weren't totally sure. He wanted to make the right decision. Their engagement lasted 67 years. They, they finally got married in 1969. We've got a picture of them on their honeymoon, uh, just relaxing. On their, they're just hanging out. So they wanted to make the right decision. So for those of you that are new here, you know that we've been in this series. You can take that down. Otherwise, it's, we're having technical difficulties. This is going to be interesting today, guys. Interesting. Um, so we're closing out this series called Jesus Said, and over the past several weeks, we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and we've, seen, we've heard and read and, and listened and thought about and prayed about Jesus saying things like, um, don't worry, you know, and he's teaching us how to apply that to our life, that principle to our life. And then we read um, uh, the other day about how he said, don't judge, and we talked all about that and how we apply that to our life. And each week for the last eight weeks, we've been looking at his teachings, well, this week he completely shifts gears because this is the last few uh, scriptures of his Sermon on the Mount. And in this passage, he's not teaching, 
He's not clarifying. He's not, he's not illustrating. He's not expounding. He's done with the teaching portion of his sermon, and he turns to us. He turns to the people that he was talking to, that, that he was on the mountain preaching to. He turns to them, and he says, Now, what are you going to do with what I taught you? How are you going to respond to my teaching? He says, It's decision time. Uh, And the words that I'm going to read to you may feel challenging to you. They may sting a little bit. They may feel a bit abrasive or even offensive to you because most of us don't like to be put on the spot and told like, okay, you've got to make a choice. It's time to make a choice. We don't like that, right? We like to, we like a little wiggle room. We like to be able to squirm a little bit. So what I'm going to do rather than like read a pass, read a scripture and then talk about it and read another and then talk about it. I'm just going to rip the Band-Aid off, and I'm just going to read you this entire passage uh, that Jesus shares uh, and that Jesus says um, in the, at the end of his Sermon on the Mount. Um, so I'm going to read it to you. I don't know if we're going to be able to get it onto the screen. Oh, good. Wow. Um, let's hear it for our visual production team back there. Way to go, guys. Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy. That leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate, he says, is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. He says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And didn't we do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, workers of lawlessness. And everyone who hears these words of mine, he says, and, and does not do them will be like a foolish man, Uh, who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And then it says, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, and not as their scribes. There's a show that I like to watch occasionally called Shark Tank. Has anybody ever seen the show Shark Tank? And Shark Tank is this show where there's this group of investors and they sort of sit in this, what they call the Shark Tank. And entrepreneurs will come to them and they'll pitch their ideas, their business ideas to these, uh, these investors. And the investors will negotiate a deal, try to negotiate a deal with them where they get to buy a stake in the business of the entrepreneur. And at the, end of the, at the end of the session, after everybody has figured it out and talked it out, and all the, all the offers are on the table, one of the sharks, a guy named Kevin O'Leary, this very shrewd businessman, he's, he, he goes by the name Mr. Wonderful, he's the one that turns to everyone and he says this. He says, what are you going to do? And he's putting that ultimate decision on the entrepreneur that's standing there. They can either accept the offer And now they've got a billionaire who's invested in their business. Or they can reject the offer and go at it 
alone and keep going alone. And so this is an ultimate decision for them. Everything that they've done, everything they've been working on comes down to this decision. He says, what are you going to do? And that's what is fundamentally challenging about Jesus's words in this passage is that he's challenging us, his listeners, to make an ultimate decision. And there's not a tone of advising or recommending or consulting. He's commanding us to, to make a decision to follow me or not. Um, there was a little Mexican restaurant in Tempe, Arizona, where I went to school for a while. And I love this restaurant, especially after I got really tired of making a lot of decisions. Because when you walked into this restaurant, you walk up to the counter, and there was a board above the register. And the board, at the top of the board, in like block, black, you know, uh, block letters, said menu. And then under that word, there was a line, a vertical line. And on one side of the line, it said meat. And on the other side of the line, it said chicken. Those were the only two uh, offerings on the menu, and that was it. And, if it, it. and you would walk in there, and if you ordered the meat, you would get a plate of uh, cubed steak with um, rice and beans and some tortillas and a little pico de gallo. And then if you ordered the chicken, you would get a plate of cubed chicken with rice and beans and some tortillas and a little pico de gallo. And if you tried to get fancy and order something else, the guy behind the counter would just stare at you long enough that you felt so uncomfortable that eventually you would choose one or the other. And, and Jesus is putting it to us in the simplest and cleanest terms. He's cleared out all the trivia. He's cleared out all of the mess. He's cleared everything else out, and he's asking us to answer the most important question that any of us will ever answer in our life, to make the most important decision that any of us will ever make in our life. He's saying, which path will you take, the wide or the narrow? And what's, what's challenging about this is that it's a binary decision. It's a there's no, like, third path. There's no middle way that he offers. He's, he just puts us on the spot. And that's awkward. And that's uncomfortable for someone to say, I want you to make a decision. What are you going to do? He's saying, follow me down the narrow path that leads to life or continue walking down the broad path that leads to death. And in the, in the business world, there's a, a growing trend um, thinking about this, this idea where people will say, and maybe some of you have heard this, that we shouldn't get trapped in the tyranny of the either or, but we should experience the genius of the both and. Have you, ever, have you heard this? This is a sort of an ongoing trend in, in, in business thought right now. And, and what it means is don't always make every decision an either or decision. There can be some both and decisions. So, for example... If you're trying to find a car that is both a luxury car and a muscle car, right, don't make that an either-or decision. Buy the Mercedes E63. It's got a 5.5-liter bi-turbo V8 engine, and it's luxurious and comfortable, right? And it comes for the low, low price of $92,770. That's the hook. Um, you don't have to choose between stylish furniture and affordable furniture, right? We can go to Ikea, and we will get both stylish and affordable furniture, and we will also need to hire an engineer to come to our house and to put it together, right? 
When Craig Wagner was courting Shirley Wagner, he said, you don't have to choose between brains and brawn. This isn't an either or. You can have both and. Enjoy the genius. Right, Craig? We love our options, right? We don't want to choose if it means excluding something else. We don't want to foreclose on other possibilities. We just don't want to fundamentally. And that's the problem with deciding because it forces us to cut off an option. That's what the word to decide in Latin actually means. It means to cut off. Every decision that you make about anything cuts off other possibilities. So when you decided to come to this church this morning, you you decided to cut off the possibility of being at Peacock Diner at this moment right now, right? You made that decision. And so you're here and you've cut off all other options for the time that you're here. If you've decided to go to Wash, Wash U, you got accepted to five colleges and you said, I'm going to go to Wash U. You've cut off all of the other options. You're not going there. You're going to this one, right? And, and, and so we, whenever we decide anything, we end up cutting off other options. And we have to make these binding commitments, these either-or decisions. And it's not easy. My uncle, about a little over seven years ago, my uncle uh, officiated my wedding, our wedding, wasn't my wedding. It's really her wedding. Um, but it was our wedding. And, and I remember him saying, during the wedding, here's what he said. He said, Brent, forsaking all others, do you promise to keep her and only her for as long as you both shall live? That's what he asked me. That's an either-or proposition. How do you think it would have gone if I would have said, you know, Uncle Norman, you're actually sort of trapped in the narrow tyranny of the either-or. I would like to apply the both-and proposition to this marriage. How do you feel about that? That would not have gone well for me. I would have been applying the both-and in my apartment by myself for the rest of my life. Here's what Jesus is saying, right? When you're at the altar, it's not, it's not a both-and proposition. It's an either-or proposition. Jesus is saying this. There's an altar in your heart And every single one of us has a little altar in our heart. And we are deciding who it is that we're going to follow. Who it is that we're inviting to be at that altar. Who do we worship? Who do we pay homage to? Who do we pay our obeisance to? Who do we listen to? Whoever that is, whatever voice that is, that's our Lord. That's our Savior. And that's what Jesus is teaching us. He's saying there are a lot of options, right? It could be your ego. It could be your money that's the Lord of your altar. It could be your desires. It could be your pleasure. It could be happiness. It could be security. It could be the desire to feel important. It could be the desire to feel respected. It could be the desire to fit in. Whatever it is, you're going to bow down to something in your heart. And Jesus is saying, I want you to bow down to something nobler, something greater, something more powerful than you could ever have hoped or imagined. Because if you're going to bow down to the self-interested little world and little life that you've created for yourself, you're missing out on the epic, grand, eternal scope of what I have for you in my kingdom. Come to me, he said, I'll bring you life. So he's calling us to put a stake in the ground and to decide who we're going to follow. He's saying, if you want real life, real life, I can offer that to you. So, will you turn to me and follow me, or will you reject me? 
And there are other things that he tells us about this commitment. For instance, he says that our commitment means that our identity as his followers, that becomes the guiding principle in our life. Our identity in Christ becomes more important than any other identity that we have. It becomes more important than our political identity, our racial identity, our sexual identity, our class identity, our family identity, our name identity, our status identity. It becomes everything. Everything else that we are, when we become followers of Jesus, becomes secondary to identifying with him. He says, I'm it. If you, if you, here's, he says this, he says, if you love your mom, your dad, your brothers, your sisters, your husband, your wife, your aunts, your uncles, if you love any of them more, more than me, you can't be my followers. If you even love your own life more than me, you can't be my follower. This is an all in, all in proposition that he's putting before us in this passage. And this runs wildly against the grain of our culture, against the grain of our society, against the grain of our own nature, right? Because implicitly, inherently, we want to be the God of our own life. We want to. We want that. Because then we get to decide what we want to do, what's pleasurable for us, what's desirous of us, what, you know, our gain, our fulfillment. Uh, These things start to take precedent over serving him and honoring him. And so we end up in a society where people are lonely and disillusioned and lost and broken relationships because they've drunk the Kool-Aid of following personal gain and personal fulfillment, and they end up with nothing at the end of the day. Because these are just, these are transient things. This is like grass in the wind, right? Jesus says, I want to give you something eternal. I want to give you something that will take you all the way. I want to, I, I, I want to be that thing for you. Um, I want more for you than you could even want for yourself. Um, following him means a lot of things. It means that we, we love those who vehemently disagree with us. It means sometimes we take an unpopular path. It means sometimes we swim upstream. It means sometimes we are misunderstood. Um, I, I'm not going to talk a lot today about the, the Supreme Court ruling on same-sex marriage. I know that's a very hot-button issue um, but I will say this, that it's important, it's an important issue, it's important for Christians to um, be prayerful about it, and careful about it, and thoughtful about it, uh, because I know that many of you are affected in real and personal ways by this. You have, many of us have friends and family that are gay, uh, and we want to support them, and we want to show our love for them, and as a church, we want to desperately to be a place where everyone can come and find God's love and God's mercy and grace in their heart. We want to be that, right? And we're also experiencing the tension, the tension of Jesus's words, where he casts a vision of marriage as a spiritual union between male and female, and they come together as one flesh. So there's a tension between our cultural views about sexuality and the the views of sexuality that are prescribed to us who are followers of Jesus. And so we have to be very careful about how we navigate that, where we're not judging and we're not you know, looking down our nose at other people, where we're affirming the word of God and we're loving the people around us. I mean, it's a, it's a narrow path, you guys. It's a, it's a narrow gate. It's a narrow path. It's not, it's not a broad path. It's not easy to do. Um, and it's not just that issue, by the way, right? It's, it's every issue. Uh, it's our attitude towards the poor. 
It's our view of money. It's the way we treat our families. It's the way that we love those with whom we disagree. It's our willingness to, to let go of our small, self-centered, self-focused life. And, and it's our ability and it's our wi- willingness to let go of, of, of wanting to follow our own voice and saying, look, I want to hear the voice of the good shepherd. And I want to follow that voice. That's the voice that I want to follow. Because at the end of the day, there are a lot of voices There are a lot of ideas. There are a lot of opinions. There are a lot of people. There's what I say. There's what you say. There's what somebody else says. There's what the billions of people on Facebook say, right? But at the end of the day, I really, really want to know, what does Jesus say? I want to know, what does Jesus say? Because that's the voice that I want to follow. And Jesus says, which voice will you follow? Which voice are you going to follow? Mine or someone else's? John Ortberg Uh, who's a pastor in Menlo Park, um, he puts it like this. He says, what is your master value? In other words, what is the thing that you believe that animates you and is the driving force in your life? What is that thing? And when you can locate that thing, uh, then, you know, then you know. You know who you are. You know who your master is. You know who's on the altar of your life. Um, And we can look at this in sort of a funny, uh, superficial way if we look at different famous people um, uh, we can sort of try to figure out what is their master value. I don't know if these pictures are going to work. But, I mean, you know, if you look at the Trump, you go, what is, what is it? What is his master value? I don't know. Maybe money, maybe power, hair products. I don't, it could be anything, right? <laughs> I love the Donald. You got, you got um, go to the next one. Ray Charles, right? Music, creativity, right? Innovation, uh, that's, you know, his master value is just, that's what his life is poured out to. There's Mother Teresa. Hers is like maybe sacrifice to the poor, serving others, uh, helping others. And then I, I love, I can't help it, but I love Woody Harrelson. What's his driving force? He can't remember. He's got a short-term memory thing, and it's just like not happening. So um, we don't know, but we love him. Jesus says, I want to be the voice that you listen to, right? And then Jesus ups the ante one more time. And he says, not only will you follow me, but which way, which way will you follow me? For real or for show? Is, it going to be, is this going to be internal or is this going to be external? Is this going to be a display or is this going to be a dedicated life of following me? How's everybody doing? Are you feeling a little like... Right there, right now? Are you tracking? Amen. Um, there's a popular group of charities uh, called the Cancer Fund of America, and it provides its donors with a really, really impressive uh, purpose statement on its website. In fact, this website reads the following. It says, Our purpose is to provide relief to those who suffer from the effects of cancer and to work with other organizations that share in the goal of helping cancer patients, the critically ill, and the impoverished. We do this through education, direct assistance, financial aid, and the providing of supplies and caregiving products. Additionally, it says we assist in the eradication of cancer through education and the support of cancer research. And you read that statement and you go, man, that sounds good, right? Eradication of cancer, cancer research. This is amazing, right? But in May, the Federal Trade Commission filed a suit against the group, uh, because the evidence in the case appears to implicate this group in one of the biggest charity frauds of all time. Massive, massive charity scam. 
Apparently, the FTC, when they lifted the lid on this company, on this nonprofit, they discovered that this company had raised over $200 million and had blown it for purposes other than cancer patients. Um, on the on the the statement of the uh, of the uh, nonprofit said 100% of our proceeds go to services like hospice care, transporting patients to and from chemotherapy, buying pain medication for children. And they gave a long list of things that they did. But when the F- FTC began to look into it, looked at the evidence, what they found is that the organi- the organization, the owners of the organization, spent 97% of the no- donations on themselves for things like cars. Uh, dating websites, trips to Hooters, gifts from Victoria's Secret, college tuition for their kids, jet skis, and cruises to the Caribbean. And the little bit of money that they did spend on the, the, the victims of cancer, they bought like these chintzy little gift p- packages, you know, and they had like Debbie, Debbie cake snacks, or what are those called? Little, little, Debbie, little Debbie snack cakes. They had like sample bottles of um, uh, shampoo, iPod cases, not iPods, iPod cases, you know, like it was just nothing, right? Because their words, what they were saying, what they were putting out there is we're doing this in the name of cancer research. We're doing this to help people. But behind the scenes, when the doors were closed, right, had nothing to do with that. And Jesus says in this passage, he says, remember, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. That's the thing about Jesus. He's not letting us off the hook. He doesn't want us to have, you know, a little bit of God in our life and a little bit of that and wear Jesus as a badge and it not to be the real thing. He says, I want you all. I want your heart. I want your soul. I want your mind. I want your body. It's all in with me, he says. It's all in. Um, Jesus is saying that when you're following him, it's not about religious display. Um, it's about following him at home and at work and at school and in the good times and in the bad times and everywhere you go. You're a follower of Jesus. And that's your primary purpose. That's your primary identity in life. And then Jesus does this. He wraps up this sermon um, by saying, which foundation will you build upon? Stone or sand? Stone or sand? My father-in-law is a concrete guy. He's a contractor and was telling me about several years ago um, uh, in Arizona, they were building this neighborhood full of residential properties. And in Arizona, you know, the ground is sandy in certain parts of Arizona and it's sort of desert. And so the, the blueprint called for a deep, deep foundation. And they had to dig these really deep footers and pour these, you know, deep footers down in this um, into this foundation. But for whatever reason, the builder, uh, either by neglect or some other reason, either didn't read the blueprint or didn't apply the blueprint, and he built 30-some houses with these very shallow foundations, right? Because it's expensive, and it's hard, and it takes sacrifice to dig deep, right? It's a lot easier just to throw something up on the top. And from the outside, everything looks fine. And in the good times, everything's cool, but Jesus says when the, when the wind comes and the rain comes and the storm comes, if you don't have the firm foundation, it's not going to stand. It's going to fall. And great will be the fall of it. Every builder knows that. And over and over throughout the Bible, we hear this call over and over. Make the decision. 
Moses says this. He says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life, death, blessings, and curses. Now choose life, he says. Choose life that you and your descendants may live. Joshua, talking to the people of God, says, Choose you this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Generations later, a prophet named Elijah stood near all the people and he said, How long will you go limping in between two different opinions? He said, you're, you're, You can't stand strong because you're, you're limping back and forth between two different opinions. He said, If the Lord is God, follow him. And if Baal, the, the idol of the day, is God, follow him. And then Jesus stands before us and says, follow me. Make that decision to follow me. And when we hear this, we squirm, we turn to God, we say, is there a third way? Is there another way? Is there a both and that we can apply here? Can we do that? And here's what's beautiful. And you've got to get this. If you've listened to anything I've said today, you've got to get this part, okay? Here's the, here's, the, here's, the, here's the amazing twist in all of it. That Jesus knows exactly, knows exactly what it's like to have to make this excruciating ultimate decision. He knows exactly what it's like. He made an ultimate decision. Over 2,000 years ago, he had been preaching. He had been preaching for three years. He had gathered a lot of followers, a lot of people with him. And one night he's having dinner with his closest followers, and he knew, he just knew that the darkness was about to close in around him. He knew that this was the night that he was going to have to make the ultimate decision. And he could literally feel the weight of the world on his shoulders. He could sense that it was about time to make the call. He could feel his throat tightening with the fear of what was about to come. He could feel his skin getting goosebumps. He could feel his breathing begin to shallow and quicken because he was descending into the ultimate valley of decision. It was so powerful and so painful and so strong for him that he slipped out from the dinner uh, and he went out into the garden to pray. The anguish was so great that he threw himself on the ground, on the cool, damp ground, and he began to call out to the Father because he could feel the weight of your sin and my sin upon him. And he said, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. He's saying, I don't want to make this decision. This is excruciating. Can you take this decision away from me? Is there any other way? If it be your will, is there any other way? Let this cup pass from me. And the Bible says that the, the, the pain was so excruciating for him that it, he was sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. I mean, it was just agonizing for him to make this decision. But then he said these words, and he said, he said, nevertheless, nevertheless, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. And in that moment, the Bible teaches us that he decided, he made the ultimate decision to walk down the narrow path, a path that would radically change history forever, the path that would alter your life and my life forever. And the scripture says when he got up, the soldiers came 
And he turned himself over like a lamb to the slaughter. And he was making the ultimate decision for you and for me. He turned over his rights. He turned over his freedoms. He turned over his comfort. He turned over his peace. He turned over his power so that you and I could be free. So that you and I could have a life and that more abundantly. And now 2,000 years later, he stands before us, the crucified and resurrected Lord. And he says, okay, I've made the decision. Will you make the decision to follow me? Will you make the decision to die to yourself and be resurrected to me, to lay down the petty life that you are clinging to so desperately that leads you nowhere and turn your life over to me and experience my love and my hope and my grace and my mercy and eternal life in me? Are you willing to do that? You know, if you go to Cheesecake Factory, they got a, they got a menu that's like a novel. You just can't. You just can't possibly make a choice, right? I just shut my eyes and I just point my finger, right? But Jesus says, no, I'm not. I'm going to make it really, really simple. I'm going to make it really simple. There's just, it's just a really simple choice. Will you follow me? Will you follow me? And a lot of you that are here, you know, you're, you're on the path. You're, you're trying to think it through. You're trying to figure it out. And I'm so, so ecstatically glad that you are here. And we want you, I want you here for as long as you can possibly put up with us, you know? And I know that a lot of you have questions and you still say, well, all right, well, I still have to figure some stuff out, right? What about people from other religions? What about this gay marriage thing? What, you know, what about that? What about my questions about science and the Bible? How does all that figure out? What if there's stuff that I'm not quite ready to give up yet, right? What if I want God, but I also want to retain a little bit of my own, uh, my own authority in my sexual life or in my financial life or in whatever area of my life that, I, that I'm not quite ready to let go of. I want to say that God's going to walk through that stuff with you. You're working through that right now, whether you're a follower of his or not. Why don't you let the Holy Spirit walk through that with you? Why don't you let somebody in our, you know, one of our elders, one of our uh, leaders walk through some of that stuff with you? You have questions? You're in a safe place to ask questions. I've got questions. We've all got questions right? Jesus' followers had questions. Thomas had questions. Matthew had questions, right? Everybody. But Jesus just says, hey, will you follow me? Will you follow the crucified and resurrected Lord? And we'll work, at, we'll work out the details together as we walk it out. Will you do that? This question, and I'm putting it to you guys today, and I'm, I'm going to ask that every single one of you make a decision in your heart today. This is between you and God. This is not between you and anybody else. Uh, this is not one of those deals where you, you know, close your eyes and raise your hand, and then you come down, and then you go to the back, and then you know, it's like not one of those deals. Um, you make the decision yourself. If you want someone to walk through that decision with you, let us know. There's a, on your connection card, there's a little place at the bottom that said, I've decided, and then there's like a little options you can put in there, or you can write something down. I've decided to explore further. I've decided, I I remember recently someone came and they said, I've decided to be a seeker rather than a skeptic. I said, we'll take that. We will take that. Jesus is saying, follow me. I, when I was a kid, we had a song that was called, I surrender all. I don't know if you remember this song. It was one of these beautiful old hymns. And it said, I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. And so I turn to you today, as Jesus did on the Mount of Olives, as Moses did, as Joshua did, as every preacher who's ever picked up a Bible is called to do, and say, 
Will you make that decision to surrender your life to Jesus? And will you do what Jesus said? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we know that this is, this is intense. Um, we know that there's, there's so much going on in our life, and there's so many, so many questions that so many of us have, and there's so much going on in our world, and it can be sort of a, it can be sort of a spinning, confusing time. But God, we just ask that you give us the f- clarity of mind today, the clarity of heart today, to just make the decision wherever we are, whatever place we are spiritually, on our spiritual journey, wherever we're at, that we would just make the decision to say, you know what, I am going to follow you. I'm going to put my stake in the ground. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to just give my life to you. I'm going to surrender my life to you. I'm going to trust you with my heart, soul, mind, and body. I'm all in. I'm going all in with you, Lord. I trust that you will walk with me and protect me and keep me and guide me. I pray, Lord, that people in this room today, I pray that your spirit would move in their hearts and that they would make that decision for themselves um, and that they would reach out to, to us as a church and let us know how we can serve them and you know, grow with them and help develop their, their faith and strengthen their faith. I just pray that each and every one of us, Lord, makes a decision. At the end of the day, it's, it's either or. We're either following you or we're not. And so, I God, I just ask that you, you move through your spirit into the hearts of the people here today, into my life, so that all of us, Lord, can make that decision. We're going to follow you. We're going to follow you. We're going to follow you. Thank you. To you be all the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.